Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Welcome. Welcome to 2023. Welcome to 2023. Wow. And because Lauren and I are still on holiday, we are bringing you part three, the final chapter of our episode on consultancies. If you haven't listened to the other two, go and listen to them or else this probably won't make any sense. Yeah, part one and part two are already there on Spotify, Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Very nice. That was smooth. Very smooth. (laughs) I feel like 2023 is going to be so smooth. Okay. Are you ready? Might sting. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) I like how you did that. I like how you did it. That's a tagline for our podcast. (laughs) Exciting. Exciting times. See you all very soon. Bye. Bye. On a personal level, whether this works for organizations or not, I don't know. I don't, it's hard to say. But I think for me, it really worked to know what I'm about and like what I'm willing to compromise on and what I'm not willing to compromise on. Now, the extent to which I was able to do anything about that is different, but at least I knew that like, I don't know, for some reason it just feels a bit more reasonable to know when you're compromising your values than Mm. to not know at all and then come to this realization later. So just bringing an awareness to it. Yeah. I think for me that really just helped of like, here's what I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. And being able to kind of come back to that all the time just meant that I wasn't, I don't know, just trying to look at myself and look at what I was doing in a much more meaningful, I say meaningful a lot, but like a more mindful way, I suppose. Yeah, which um, roots back into why you started doing this in the first place. Exactly. So if that, those things are not matching up, it's almost like catfishing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the next episode, catfishing yourself. <laughs> what else worked? Balance. Being a bit more balanced. So having, did we already talk about having like a single person kind of managing each project um, and being the point of contact and being comfortable being managed by other people, but also just trying to find balance. Cause in the beginning we were working like stupid hours. I think we were working till like midnight beyond. We were working like 20 hour days. <laughs> like it was just yes. crazy. And I don't say 20 hour days as an exaggeration. There was one point when it's true. we were working really, really long days, which was hard on, hard on us, hard on the people who care about us. <laughs> I think it was just, oh, definitely. Yeah. once we got better at balancing and saying, okay, these are the times I'm going to work. And for me, I think maybe it works differently for between us. So for me, what really helped is like doing my own timesheets and then trying to hold certain days for specific things. So, you know, not working on Fridays, although sometimes I'm better at that than others, but not working on the weekends, like just really trying to be clear about how the time is spent. Because yes, you can have overlapping projects, But that doesn't necessarily mean like I'm giving six days to data collection across three different things. It doesn't mean that that's happening concurrently or that that's happening in full days. It may work to do like I do all my data collection for one project. If they're overlapping, I'm doing all my data collection for one project in the morning. So I'm scheduling all of those appointments in the mornings. I'm scheduling all my appointments for another one in the afternoon or I'm just doing like hard back to back, whatever, like just organizing yourself in a way that feels comfortable. Cause I think for me, the thing I struggled with is just like when everything was just kind of happening to me and I had no control. Yes, I am a controlling person and I enjoy having control. So yeah, I think just trying to get balance and not working yourself into a hole, which is harder, harder said than done. And I do it constantly. So I'm not really the expert at it. Brene, holla. 
<laughs> yeah, it is really, really hard to manage your time. And I don't think I personally found a, a rhythm so much in it yet. But I do think we're finding efficiencies mm. Um, which have we've learned from past clients that have enabled us to be better managing our time. Yeah. I think the other thing, and again, I'm not sure how comfortable I am yet with this, is also being realistic about how much you can actually do in the time that you've allocated to something. Because I think you might allocate three days to a desk review, which in reality is like, I don't know, 24 hours. Mm. But actually, that's not very long when you have to spend some hours coding or looking for stuff or reading things or... It's almost like a personal acceptance that for a client, this is actually what I can do in this time. Yeah. And yes, I'd love to read another 10 documents and reinforce this in another way. And I can get lost in, you know, all sorts of rabbit holes when I'm looking for documents. Mm. But you have to be realistic yeah. with what you can actually achieve in the time frame you've set aside. And put your own perfections aside a little bit in a way. You may want to create a document that is amazing and perfect and whatnot, but... You know, if you're not being paid for it. Dear listeners and watchers, you're watching, you're you're getting some insight into our conflicts. Because what Lauren did there is that she inserted a jab at me. I'm not jabbing you. <laughs> this is a, a, it's a real point. Yeah, I appreciate it. it's a real point. But you know who you're pointing that point at is my point. <laughs> As a high achiever, I do think it's important to seek perfection, aspire to perfection in all that is done. But yeah, I'm not always getting paid for perfect. So. <laughs> that's a great title. Not paid for perfect. Mm, maybe that's the title of the one that we do that's around um, you get out what you put in. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yes. Did you write that down? I did. Okay, great. <laughs> Timesheets. How can you know how much it takes or how long it takes for you to do something if you're not keeping track of time? And so I do think that there's a logistical piece here. Some contracts we've had have been paid in real time. So we've said this is how much time we have actually spent on something and then we get we invoice based on that. Some of them have been like we invoice based on the total value of the contract as articulated in the proposal. But if what you've proposed is actually like not a reflection of how much time it's actually going to take for you to do something, then what you're doing is you're just, you're working for free, which, you know, we have done on some projects because we've loved them so much that we just don't even care how much time it's going to take. And that, you know, can be your very own passion project or whatever. But the first thing to understanding how much time it to include in a proposal is by understanding how much time it takes you to do something. And I would certainly say that you know, the first couple of projects that we worked on together, keeping track of that time, because those proposals that we submitted were not a reflection of how much time it really was going to take us to do things, including stuff like meetings we would have with project teams, including how long it would take for us to organize things. So we thought, okay, this is how much time we think it's going to take for us to do a particular thing. But then there's all the kind of background pieces of getting that thing, of shaping that thing that maybe we didn't account for as well. So at the very least, doing your first few bits using a timesheet system or tracking your time in some way so that you know how much you can be putting, you should be putting into proposals in the future. Yes, definitely agree. You weren't so keen on timesheets. I, I resisted them at the beginning. You did. <laughs> and it wasn't because I didn't, you know, I, I get the merits in them hugely. I just have a problem in integrating. Just you just have a problem. <laughs> I just have a problem. I have a problem in integrating things consistently in my life sometimes. Like this. <laughs> Something that requires rigidity. 
This is why I resisted the lock frame for so long. <laughs> anyway, whatever. So yeah, listen to Tia. Do timesheets. It's helpful. Do timesheets at least for a couple so that you know how long it takes to do stuff. Okay, tips. What now? Hot tips. <laughs> Hot tips. Okay, welcome to the after party, everyone. Welcome to the after party. Should we have cocktails or something? Yeah, probably. Okay. Do we have something to drink? We have something to drink, but it's underneath me. Okay. Let's... So for those of you watching, you're going to pretend you're drinking. Get some... Oh, are you getting out, Ashley? Well, yeah. Okay, great. Okay, you can hold still. All right. We took a little break to get a beer. That was a lovely beer. Hmm. It's nice. Yeah, really nice. Good. Got like a summery vibe. Well, this is really, really nice. Really nice. I've been carting this beer around. Um... For a while, I bought it in Italy, but it's just too massive. I just liked the way it looked. Yeah. But it's just too massive for me to drink in one go by myself. So. It's really nice beer. Okay. Well, this is the only one that exists. <laughs> well, in the whole world. <laughs> well, you'd have to go to Italy to get another one. Okay. Because I don't think they sell this here. They may sell it in, like, Italy, the, that Italian restaurant, <laughs> Italian <laughs> shop. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Italy. Where is it? I don't know, there's one in... All right, well, right. Well, you, you, anyway, you, yeah, you know. On. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, hot tips. Hot tip number one. When you're writing a proposal and you're looking at the terms of reference and the organisation, look at what else is going on in that organisation. Look yep. at where they are in the strategy process. Look yep. at who their donors are what projects, programs, campaigns they've got going on because all of that matters when you're trying to write a proposal that feeds into a bigger part of the organisation than just that one evaluation or assessment. I think it also gives people the feeling that you have done your homework. Yes. And that you are thinking holistically about that work. So even if you're just able to drop a few lines into an interview, if you're able to get to that place... Just to give people an idea, I mean, it's classic interview technique 101, right? Or mm. cover letter technique 101 is that you just insert something that gives them a sense that you've got, your knowledge is broader than what exists on the piece of paper or that distinguishes you in some fashion from your other competitors, because it's competitive. So we'll call them competitors. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. We've just created a whole new volume of competitors. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Good. Um, no, we haven't. We're just competing against ourselves. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Had two sips of beer and already getting wild. She's wild. Um, hot tip number two. I've seen really interesting is people like hunting for team members in LinkedIn for some specific projects. So I've seen people saying, oh, hey, does anybody know anybody from wherever? Because there's a project coming up that I want to bid for. That is not a technique I would advise. Because there's, you don't know that person. You don't know who they are. You're, if you are both or all, you know, if that's a team that's just new, you're coming into something, you're potentially going into an interview, you're potentially writing a proposal together. You may not have the, actually the time to get to know each other and get to know the way that you work. To one, be able to put something together that's a reflection of everybody or that people are going to be happy with. You're going to reinforce power dynamics in that if you are doing it that way. The better way that we have sometimes done and sometimes not done in the interest of transparency is to try and build something together, like build a team before that or start making connections with people before that saying, hey, if there's something that comes up, this is what I'm doing. If something comes up, would you be interested in collaborating together on something before? 
get to know an organization's or like everybody's got strategic priority countries. They're all roughly the same strategic priority countries. So just start building relationships with people through LinkedIn, through Facebook, through whatever. Build those relationships in advance and get to know people before so that you're actually building proposals with them. You're co-designing proposals with them as opposed to, oh, I'll do the proposal and you just do the data collection. Like that's just, I don't know, it feels icky. Yeah, definitely agree. Okay. I think if you're going to start changing the powers in the consultancy world, you've really got to think about those micro decisions as well. I mean, I guess that assumes you want to try and change those power dynamics within the, so maybe people don't. Yeah, maybe people don't. If you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you do. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and um, if you don't and you're listening to this, then cut it out. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Hot tip number four, and it kind of feeds off what you're saying, and I'm in two minds about this one, actually, is use your network and the organizations you've worked in in the past and people you know to build a reputation for yourself as a consultant. Reach out to people, tell them that you are entering into the consultancy space, make them aware of your specialties, your values or whatever themes or you're focusing on as a consultant, your USP essentially, and use them to connect you to terms of references that are coming up things that are going on in the organizations and so on. Even if it's just a stepping stone into the consultancy world, it's a really, really good one. And kind of putting yourself out there a bit on LinkedIn or in those networks and in those spaces to, to let them know that, you know, you're bringing something and you're willing to share and, and so on. But the reason I'm in two minds about it is because this sector has a real problem with hiring people that you know and reinforcing systems of oppression by hiring the same people that have yeah. the same views and the same perspectives you know the sector is full of white women like me reinforcing our own views that's not true it's also white men reinforcing <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> you know so i'm in two minds about it because it's you have to use your network and relationships to get started in a way but i don't like it so much or don't think it's the right way to go when someone's like, oh, yeah, I know you. Let's just hire you because I know that you can work like that. Mm. But maybe that's more reliant on clients and organizations being more critical and diverse around who they hire. Yeah. So both sides of that coin. But I think one way to mitigate that is don't close the door behind you. Like what we're doing, share the knowledge, share the experiences, share what you know, and put that out there as well as yourself. Mm. I think it's also building diverse teams, mm. right? Although I'm starting to feel like maybe I should be paid a little bit more because I'm making you less like the status quo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just think I should be paid a cut, not reparations necessarily, mm. okay. but somewhat. Okay. <laughs> I'll go to uh, my parents' bank account for that one. <laughs> Their parents, their parents. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, you're still you're still benefiting from the system. So oh, agreed, agreed. The, n the next beer is on you. <laughs> that's fine by me. Okay, well, you did, bring, taste this good. <laughs> yeah, you did bring breakfast this morning, so that's okay. You, you brought uh, you brought breakfast to nourish us for the podcast, so that's fine. There we go. Okay, what hot tip are we on? Because you've been counting, and I just want to see if you keep, keep I think track. we're on five. I, you said four before, but I don't know if that was four. So, okay, let's be, let's be on five. Okay, so here, hot tip number five. Use 
there's tools. There's a lot of tools that you can use. We have a range of tools that we apply. It depends on the context. It depends on digital literacy levels. It depends on where the project team is based, but it's, they're good ways to just kind of shake things up a little bit. So one thing that we like, you know, a couple of tools that we use, we use Airtable, which has a great free version as a way of having sort of a more intelligent design. <laughs> it builds on Excel spreadsheets. Or it builds on the logic of Excel spreadsheets and lets you dive into things in a, in a different way and connect tabs differently. It's like a narrative version of Excel. Yeah. Um, and things can be housed as sort of discrete files within themselves and then linked to each other which is really nice. And there's a free version of that. So we, we use that and we think it's a really good one. We use it for our podcast editorial schedule. We use it for proposals. We use it in projects. You can invite people to those spaces so that they can fill things in. So that's a, that's a good one. We use Miro as a, we really, we use Miro so much. We really should be getting Hi, Miro. Hi, Miro. At Miro. <laughs> Send us a message. Send us some money. <laughs> We contribute to the mirror universe, so and we got a podcast. The Miroverse. The Miroverse. Give us some money. We use Miro, which is a great way for people, for clients to interact with what you're doing. So we create a kind of collaboration space of the project that we're doing. So we keep inception documents, any reflections that we have. We basically do all of our thinking in Miro. So if people want to see that or see what we're thinking or see the choices that we're making. They just need to drop in and you can basically look into our conversations in a visual space. Also, at Miro, please create an option to translate your Miro board yes. because we work in multiple languages. Great shout, great shout. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Miro, please. Where it's appropriate, you may find it helpful to connect your Zoom to Otter. So those two things that we use, Zoom and Otter. Obviously, it's a bit of a pain. And in terms of if you're doing sensitive interviews, it may not be the most secure platforms. Um, so look at from a GDPR perspective where the data is being stored in terms of other people needing to access it. So when we've done work with vulnerable groups, we haven't used these because they can be, you know, Homeland Security can, can get to them. So depending on, you know, what you need and who you're interviewing, think about that from that perspective. But we have, and also it, as part of an ethical process, you just need to let people know that you're recording it. But Otter does a really great thing where you can connect it to Zoom, you can connect it to a few other video conferencing platforms, but it's a real-time transcription software. So it listens to the conversation and then it just types it out and you and the other person can see that it's happening. Don't get distracted by that. It's very easy to watch yourself speaking and that being typed. Don't do that. But the benefit of that is that when you're doing your key informant interviews or your focus groups, they can be a bit more conversational and you can be engaging with people in a slightly different way as opposed to, you know, your head down on your computer clicking away, which when I've been interviewed before, I find wildly distracting. And so that's another, those two things are another good one that we use. What are this kind of? I use oh, things. Well, we use Max QDA. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Max QDA. Hi, Max Nerd. QDA. At Max QDA. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so it's basically a, a document storage coding software where you can upload all your documents and it will organize them for you, and you can code themes. So it's basically analyzing qualitative, unstructured data. And it will allow you to do very quick searches across all the documents. So saves a huge amount of time. So you can code manually. For example, if you're looking for things that are working, you might code um, lots of things that are working across different documents. 
Um, you can also do a, a search, for example, a word. You might look for power and it will highlight the word power and sentences around it across as many documents as you want in there. Do visualizations. Visualization. Word clouds. Word clouds. The distribution of your codes and other variables across the documents. So this is very, very useful way to start to add a bit of structure to unstructured documentation or interviews. So yeah, I really recommend it. MaxQDA is a pricey one though. True. So think about how you fold that into your budgets. So when we, anytime we've got a project where there's a big section around like a a literature review or desk research, we try to think about folding that into it so that we're recovering the costs associated with the software. So any of the things that you're using, any of the tools that you're planning on using, think about how you can fold that into your budget so that people aren't just paying for your mind. They're paying for all of the things that you're using to deliver a particular service. Think about that, fold it in. So over time, it's not, you know, it's not a huge amount. We paid like 800 pounds for it for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, Yeah, just take that, take note, client. Yeah. It's not just our brains you get. (laughs) Some of the stuff that we use, which is, you know, the extra fun bits or we use Powtoon and we make animations using Powtoon. It takes a lot of time to build them in a way that's like fun and interesting. Um, so think about it. We usually include that as an add-on for clients. Um, so if they want Powtoon, then if they want an animation, then we need to build in the cost of the platform, but also the cost, like the time that it takes to make an animation, because it does take time to do. And But it's a nice thing moving beyond the idea of a report, because you can translate it into different languages. You can caption it. You can do loads of different things that are really easy to modify. So you can effectively give the client a file and when they're ready, they can do their own captioning. They can do their own voiceovers if they want. It just makes it a lot easier. So that's another one. I think that's a good summary of... Yeah, because you don't want me to give too much away, that way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, no, I I think that's kind of everything. You haven't mentioned Basecamp. Basecamp, yeah. Basecamp is another really good one. In lieu of Basecamp, one of the things we do is status reports for clients. It just helps to so that they know where you're going. And it just to, it helps keep them up to date with what's going on. It's got a red, amber, green status. So from a risk management perspective, they can understand how we're progressing against the goals that have been set for the project. And it's short, it's concise, it's really, and clients really like it. And we do that weekly. In lieu of that, we also give them access to Basecamp. Basecamp is another sort of pricey one, but it, you know, it's an investment. And if you use it a lot, then it works really well. But if you're not going to use it very much, then there's other kind of cheaper versions or free versions that you can use. But the nice thing about Basecamp that we like is we can invite any number of people to collaborate with us on a project, but we can also invite the clients into that space and we can assign them tasks and, you know, for example, populate this folder for the document review and we can set a deadline for that. And then it just pushes notifications to them and it reminds them without us having to do it. So it takes a little bit of pressure off of us. But yeah, that's another slightly pricey one. Um, And you can build that into your projects or foot the bill. Nice. Okay. Tip number six. For me, I think if you're starting out, maybe you've got one or two clients and you've got a good relationship with a client and the report goes well, use that client to do some learning or extra products with. 
that then kind of put yourself out there as well. So for example, maybe write a blog with them or do something additional together outside of the contract kind of also elevates who you are, what you know and what you can bring. So you don't have to necessarily just see it as a client contract relationship for that evaluation or review. Once you've got that connection and that relationship, use it to your advantage. See if they're willing to do something extra with you to recommend you, promote what you're doing and, and so on. Mm. I think is a, is a good one. Absolutely. We've got four more clients coming on the podcast with us. This is the thing that Lauren likes to do, which you didn't quite mention, is developing a learning question mm. with with a client because there's things beyond just, you know, you've got your evaluation questions that the consultancy is trying to address, but developing a learning question with them that can be built into the project or that's built out of the project. So it kind of depends, but think about, you know, the point is exactly right of think about the ways that it can be used for you because they're a big they're an organization however big they are if you are able to do something that's mutually beneficial then that's great but also think about ways that it can help sort of attract more clients for you yeah absolutely do you want to talk a little bit about budgets because that's a question that people ask about or how you do a proposal budget like pie in the sky (laughs) i'm kidding she doesn't mean that (laughs) Hot tip number seven. You are keeping track. So So let's talk about budgets because we get a lot of questions about how we decide our daily rate. Yes. That, yeah, is not an easy one. It's not something you can just Google. What should my daily rate be? (laughs) Don't do it because we've tried it. (laughs) So I actually think I asked someone else's advice on this too. What did they say? They gave a benchmark that was lower than we put. They don't value themselves. Well, I mean, so a couple of things that we've done this, a couple of ways we've approached this is look at the organization's overall budget. Yeah. um, Both if it's available for the project itself, you know, so sometimes they put that on the terms of reference, sometimes they don't, Mm. but usually that is available in the public space, maybe on their website or maybe on the donor's website, for example. Um, So go and find out how much that project is worth. Have a look at how that frames in the overall organization's budget. Is there somewhere where they've written what their evaluation budget is for the year or maybe what their organizational learning budget is or something Mm. maybe looking in their financial reports everyone puts an annual financial reports on their website go and have a look at their breakdowns get a sense of how they break it down if there's space for monitoring and evaluation or something you can also look formally department for international development had a website where you could some organizations would post all of the all of their financial transactions because there was this pitch there was this moment in time where everyone was like yes we're going to account for every pound that's spent so some organizations will put everything that they've spent any money on that was related to funding that they received for di- from the department for international development at the time so sometimes they'll have they'll be able to indicate or you'll be able to identify how much they may have spent on baseline surveys end lines, assessments, evaluations, et cetera, et cetera. You may be able to see stuff like that. But I think, Lauren, you had a kind of averaging thing that you were doing. And I think it was 
somewhere between five and 10% of the overall budget may be spent across all the evaluations, baselines, midlines, et cetera, et cetera. So you may be able to kind of work with that a little bit. That doesn't hold true for everything. And maybe that's actually a piece of research that we should do ourselves is to figure out how much people spend on this stuff. Definitely. But yeah, maybe somewhere between five and 10% and then split that between three for a year or three for a project and then see you know, yeah. how, how much that might be. Sometimes the organization does put the budget on their terms of reference. Oh. Not very often. Budget and number of days. Like that, I mean, <laughs> then, then you're done. Heaven. And then it's like, yes, great. I know exactly where I stand. Mm. Um, and there is definitely a call for that to happen more often, to have financial transparency. Yep. And we've both seen things in terms of references where it says, you know, for reasons of transparency, we can't put the budget or something dodgy like that. And, then, and you're like, I'm what? Sorry? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, putting that kind of thing is just, I'm shocked that it's not there even for so many. Well, it makes things a little bit easier because then you're not getting one. Okay. For all the organization organizations who are listening, surely that helps you sift through because then you're not getting, you're getting things that are pitched the way that you need them to. Otherwise, you're just getting like a whole range of proposals that may, you might get some that it's like, you know, three days for a hundred thousand pounds or whatever. Like you might be getting stuff that's like just wildly out of scope for you. Whereas if you say, this is the number of days we expect we're going to, this might take, and this is the budget that we've got, or this is the budget that we've got. You tell us how, what what you can do in that. But giving some indication so that people can calibrate their proposal appropriately otherwise you're just getting a range of wacky things that maybe you can't actually do anything with but that meant that somebody had to look through that thing in the first place and it goes back to just not appreciating people's time as well you know people putting a lot of time and effort to put proposals and budgets in but I suppose from that point once you've done it for the first time you know, first couple of times, you can start to use that as a bit of a benchmark, you know, and say, this is how much we costed for this amount of time and this amount of work. And this client is asking for more or less. And therefore, you know, we'll benchmark it as such. I think the other thing to take into consideration is the the currency as well, you know, whether it's dollars, we've done things in Norwegian Corona, like (laughs) um, Swiss francs, whatever, like have a look at those exchange rates as well and, and really factor that in. Yeah. I guess kind of related to that is using, we use a bank account that allows us to convert currency within it. So that does help with things a little bit so that if you are invoicing somebody in Krona, you can set up a special Krona account and then it goes straight in there at a slightly more favorable rate. Very cool. But yeah, something like that, like a flexible account that means you can set up different accounts in different currencies and they can just be sort of be situated there is one thing that also kind of helps that bit along. In terms of budgets, think about all the stuff that you have to do. And you may not work this out until you do one or two, but there's all these sort of hidden pockets of time that get hidden time wasters that just get you that I think are really useful to to think about and to reflect on. So team meetings. So if you get into it, if you start working with a team, a client, and they say, actually, we want to meet twice a week for an hour. If you haven't budgeted for that, then you have to figure out where that's going to go. I think related to the 
but probably they're always going to want some sort of contact with you. So I think we've always just put in like regular team meetings or, you know, inception meetings. If we think that probably in the, in the first month or so, or the first, the inception phase, people are going to want to be in contact a bit more, which is generally the case. I think related to budget is upselling. I did think about this earlier and I was like, oh, are we going to say this? <laughs> yeah, I think upselling is a good I one. I think that's a hot tip. Yeah, that's a okay, hot tip. Hot tip number eight. Okay, hot tip number eight, upsell. Upsell, upsell, upsell. And this probably comes from my history working in, you know, as a, as a young person working in food service, working in bars, movie theaters, upsell. What we mean by that is, sure, you've got your budget, but there's always going to be a little bit of flexibility around that budget. If it's a project that's coming end of year, there's going to be a lot more flexibility in that budget. The thing you have to work out, and you don't have to do this on your own, you have to figure out what the threshold is before they need to republish that call for proposals. We've done things where we've been able to add an extra 10 days onto a project because we knew that they were close to their year end. They needed to use up a bunch of money on something we were able to negotiate more days onto that by shifting the project a little bit and trying to capture some of the things that were strategically relevant for them at the time. You can't upsell stuff that just makes no sense and you can't just add days arbitrarily. I mean, you, maybe you can, but I, I don't think that's a good thing to do. We were able to figure out what the strategic needs were by looking at other things and by pulling in other data sources to figure out what it was that we thought would be relevant. And then we were able to sell based on that. But think about you know, if they've put in a report there, you can say, okay, you want this report, but what I can do is an, an interactive presentation. I can do a webinar that I record and then you can keep that, you know, just adding that and say, okay, but that's going to take me, you know, two more days to do. So I can, I'm happy to build that in or not. Just selling them on things that they think might be useful because what they would have done with that proposal is copy pasted from other evaluations, other assessments, other reviews. And then change the details a tiny bit. There's an opportunity for them to be thinking a little bit more dynamically. And I think you just need to kind of make the offer. So think about ways that you can do it. We've done it with, we've said, okay, well, you've got the, a consortium here. What we can do is a learning product for the consortium. That's unique to them, special to them. That's going to be time. It's going to be translations. It's going to be whatever. And you can start building up from there. It's not about milking them for their money. <laughs> <laughs> she just made a face, by the way, for those who can't see. <laughs> but it is about recognizing that sometimes when you've built a terms of reference, you're not really thinking about all the things that it can be. You're not thinking about possibilities. You're thinking about like, what have other consultants done for me in the past? And if you want to be unique in that space and think about like, what's the unique thing that you can bring? If you've got a consultant team that speaks multiple languages, then think about, okay, we, you know, if we throw in an extra few days here, we can give you this report in three different languages, whatever, whatever it is, but just upsell, think about how you can build things in. Usually the, the amount of days that have been allocated to something or the budget that's been allocated for something, they've got space to work around that. So you just need to think about how you can fill that space in a way that's beneficial to that organization. Well said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, let's leave it here because we don't want to give all the tips away. Yeah. We'll save some hot tips for later. We'll do another version of this. Yeah, that's eight good tips. That's eight good tips. Yeah. All right. Well, hope you enjoyed that. Hope that was helpful. Yes. And, and do give us some feedback if you, you know, use any of these tips or tell us how it goes. We're keen to hear. Absolutely. And correct us if, you know, there's some other things that uh, 
went wrong in <laughs> If you tried any of these things and it didn't work, please let us know. But also know that we've got we've got indemnity insurance. So <laughs> if we've screwed anything up for you, it's insured. Don't worry. <laughs> right. I'm Dia. I'm Lauren. And this has been the Journey to Transformation. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.